is Mary Rose McGuire, um, Marketing Communication Specialist with Microsoft, talking with Rob Anderson, who is the Senior Product Manager uh, with Security for Paytech. And Rob, I have some questions that I thought that we could focus upon, so I'll just uh, shoot them out and then you can give us your take on them, okay? Sounds great. Okay. Uh, the first question is, what is the current list of high renter vulnerabilities that the typical IT shop should be aware of? Oh, good question. Well, there are a number of vulnerabilities to be aware of right now, um, and I'll take this in a couple different sections. I think the standard definition of vulnerability aims towards systems and software uh, that those systems actually run. For instance, client-side software that remains unpatched is a huge issue and is often the target of attack today. Um, these vulnerabilities can be exploited in a number of different ways. Um, most commonly, we see it in a spear phishing or a simple website code execution, depending on the type of vulnerability that's being exploited. Um, so maintaining an up-to-date and exhaustive patching program across the enterprise is key. Another major vulnerability is Internet-facing websites that contain less than robust code, shall we say. Attacks against web applications constitute more than 60% of the total attack attempts observed um, on the Internet. In essence, these attacks turn normally trusted websites into malicious sites that serve content uh, that contains client-side exploits. These vulnerabilities usually show up in the form of SQL injection and cross-site scripting, but there are custom-built applications that exist and are pro, uh, and they're proliferating on the internet. What I'm saying is that we'll see an increase in application-level vulnerabilities much more so than we'll than we will at the network level in the coming years. Mm -hmm. um, and furthermore, if you look at vulnerabilities from a more nebulous and uh, less software and hardware-related perspective, oversights. Excuse me, are a big problem. Uh, things like failure to change default passwords on network elements uh, could be included as a vulnerability. Beyond that, I think one of the biggest and easiest to fix vulnerabilities from a high level is access to malicious or questionable web content. If a company implements a conservative web acceptable use policy with security and productivity in mind, they'll notice, the mark, notice a marked decrease in the amount of garbage that they have to deal with in general. Um, simply blocking Facebook and personal email accounts to start can have a massive effect on decreasing risk. Mm. <laughs> and I'm sure the, the Gen Y Gen Yers would really love to hear that, right? I know, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the challenge, isn't it? Because we, as we have a younger uh, generation coming into the workforce, I mean, they want access to all of that. That's right. Um, but they don't realize sometimes all the malware and exploits that can come through that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if, if I'm checking my personal email and I see a PowerPoint presentation that features the, the the natural marvels of the country of Iran that I didn't realize existed, I really want to take a look at it. However, I may not realize as the general user that as soon as I execute um, that PowerPoint presentation, I've loaded something nasty onto my computer that can, you know, spread all across the network and cause serious problems for the company and could, you know, potentially get me in deep water. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Well, um, I'm going to move on to my second question. Okay. And uh, this is kind of like a multi-question question. <laughs> what value do you place on intrusion detection testing? How would you get, how would you credential 
an intrusion testing vendor to feel confident in giving them the keys to the castle to do the testing? And is it feasible to truly secure against or track undesirable data sharing leaks in an environment based on extensive file sharing and collaboration? Oh, that is a complex question. Okay, <laughs> let's see if I can take them all at the same time. Okay. Um, I believe that testing any element of a security posture is an absolute must. Uh, whether you hire a third party to implement that testing or you do so yourself, tests inherently show holes in defenses. Plus, security is complex by nature, which means that it's very likely that you'll find holes that need to be fixed during testing, regardless of the strength of, of the defenses that you implement. Um, from a vendor perspective, you should rely on reputation, reputation within the IT community that you trust, uh, reputation through reviews online and in trade rags, and reputation amongst other trusted individuals uh, in your industry or within your company. Um, you know, there are a lot of firms out there with a lot of certifications, and not all of them are really up to speed when it comes to doing true accurate uh, and useful tests. So getting some, uh, getting a buddy who tells you about a great vendor is always a good thing in this realm of thinking. Mm. Um, you know, if a firm has the credentials to test properly but has very little clout amongst your peers, you could be putting yourself at risk. Uh, you also need to be sure that the vendor shows flexibility and openness with regard to communication and your specific tolerance for assessing risk while testing. If vendors have very static um, uh, procedures within which they test. Uh, there may be a situation where you, um, your company as a whole, or the compliance standards that sort of shape your security posture are uncomfortable uh, giving an assessor uh, access to certain pieces, and that assessor may be uncomfortable customizing their policies for you. So it's always a really good idea to make sure that they have that flexibility and openness. If vendors push back or maintain cloudy communication, it may be a sign of a bad fit. Um, finally, it's feasible to secure against undesirable data, um, especially from a sharing and leak perspective in an environment based on file sharing and collaboration. But the extent to which an enterprise can secure is a question of three big things, budget, resource, and risk tolerance. As anybody in the security industry knows, there's no silver bullet solution to any issue out there. Uh, if there were, <laughs> there wouldn't be a security industry in the first place. So I don't think that, I don't think it's reasonable to say that, uh, that you can, uh, completely secure an environment in any situation. Um, but I think it should probably be approached from a, what is our risk tolerance in a specific context and what can we do to minimize the impact of a bad thing that happens upon that specific context, um, especially in a file sharing and, and, and peering environment. And, you know, there are great tools out there, um, intrusion detection tools, uh, web security tools, um, you know, traffic sniffers and things like that that can allow administrators to see a little bit of what's going on. Um, but again, you know, education to the user level, uh, implementation of layers of security, and then enclaving uh, the different groups of elements that have uh, uh, relationships with each other is going to be the best strategy to take, I think. That's Wow. You gave a great answer to all of those. <laughs> well, that's well, awesome. Okay. Uh, I, the third question, what risks are associated with a VOIP system? Uh, so voice over IP, voice over the IP, new yes. – quote, unquote, new situation. Um, 
there's a couple different things that are going on here. Selection of the proper VoIP platform and phone system are the first steps in a robust security posture from the VoIP side of things. Using carriers who provide toll-quality voice over IP over MPLS networks as opposed to over the open Internet is a very smart first step to take. This minimizes the exposure to the IP-based portion of your calls to the private network rather than to the open Internet. Um, and there are a lot of uh, companies that provide uh, SIP trunks over the open Internet, and a lot of folks who are new to the voice over IP world don't realize the lack of control that they have over the quality of those calls and also the lack of control that they have over the places that the content of those calls touches. So they could be putting themselves at risk without even realizing it by just trying to save a couple bucks doing something over the Internet that probably should be done over a private IP network. Um, second, taking general security best practices like complex password requirements and changing default admin and passwords to phone systems is a smart idea as well. Additionally, just like with any network element or group of elements, building a zone within which the VoIP system operates as a separate piece of the network is key. That way, if an attack or vulnerability is exploited that you weren't prepared for, your provider wasn't prepared for, or the phone system vendor wasn't prepared for, the effect of that attack is minimized to the VoIP enclave and doesn't propagate across other networks pieces of the network infrastructure. And then, as with any network, security risks should be reviewed and responded to using best practices developed in other aspects of your network security posture. This should be the case for any addition or upgrade to the network, not just conversion to voice over IP. Um, so overall, I think the best idea is to keep the IP side of the voice over IP on a private network um, and to prepare yourself for potential issues. There are, there are not um, a large number of published vulnerabilities that are specific to voice over IP when they go over um, private networks, uh, so it's difficult to sort of pinpoint specifics, but I think taking those general uh, uh, positions and, and doing the right thing and thinking of it as another aspect of your network security is probably the best way to go today. Okay, excellent. And people should not be afraid of voice over IP if implemented properly. Okay, well, that's that's a good thing. I guess it seems that more companies are starting to use it, I believe. Okay, number four, how are cloud-based services adding security? Uh, cloud-based services add, I guess, two distinct advantages from a security perspective. First, the cloud offers companies the option of subscription rather than capital expenditure. Um, this gives massive economies of scale that result in more robust protections for much less cost meaning a smaller company can afford the type of security that a larger company uh, could afford in the past, which is fantastic from the, uh, from the good guy's perspective. However, it's important to note that the concept of the cloud is so ambiguous that it may be difficult to pinpoint which cloud-based services match your company's risk tolerance. Some telecom carriers who are sort of leading the, uh, the cloud phenomenon, I guess, um, have begun to offer security services in the private cloud, meaning as part of the MPLS network, often, you know, a part of uh, that company's MPLS infrastructure that they can then um, segregate into the individual enterprise's MPLS network. This 
approach, <clears throat> excuse me, this approach is the most desirable from a risk perspective because, again, just like with the voice over IP, access to the customer MPLS context is extremely limited, and vulnerabilities to that access are well-known and protected against across any ISP. Um, in essence, cloud security is a huge win as long as the cloud and the systems in place are providing the security services um, that address the needs of your security posture and your level of risk tolerance. I always underline that while cloud services are a great umbrella security program, they should never take the place of a smart layering strategy. They should complement it. It should be an additional layer in your security posture. So if you decide that you want to go with a cloud-based web security application or a cloud-based intrusion prevention system, um, that doesn't give you free reign to remove the antivirus software off of the end-user computers uh, on your network, you will find that that will bring a world of hurt. So it's got to be part of a layered strategy. Um, however, I think if it's implemented in the proper way uh, and the proper protections are put in place, uh, cloud is a phenomenally good thing for security. Okay. How would uh, one go about building an IT-specific vulnerability management program? Hmm. Well, that's kind of a broad question, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I guess probably the first concept to recognize is that security is a very customized thing. I think the best place to start is to see what those who have come before you have done. What I mean by that is review the common threads between some of the compliance standards that are being implemented today, especially those that are becoming more and more popular. Um, you know, PCI DSS is the one that comes to mind. A lot of the um, a lot of the behaviors that that compliance standard is pushing um, are being reflected in new compliance standards like the Massachusetts Privacy Act. Um, HIPAA is another one. Take a look at some of the best practices that rely within those compliance standards and then see how they could apply to your specific security posture in your IT, your IT situation, I guess. Um, Read information from trusted, cutting-edge groups like the SANS organization and hire resources that understand the landscape of your industry. Vulnerability assessments on a regular basis should also be a key piece of this strategy. Uh, I wish I had a more cut-and-dry answer, but that's really the nature of the business, as you know. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, implementing what you believe to be best practices testing those best practices against vulnerabilities and intrusions, and then reviewing the tests to find vulnerabilities and remediating those vulnerabilities on a regular basis, I think, is the best way to go. That sounds good. And you're right. Every industry has their own set of compliance that they have to deal with. So right. Exactly. So they just have to take a close look at what that is. All right. Uh, what are the best practices to block spyware? Ah, <laughs> uh, another broad one. Well, um, so I'm going to approach this question in two ways. First, client-side protections with solid reputations when addressing spyware is a good place to start. Don't be fooled into thinking that a gateway level or cloud-based security solution could ever take the place of a client-side security software set. Remember, we mentioned the layering idea. Always, always, always need a piece of software on the end user's machine that can scan a computer and scan or, or a network element, whatever it is, and scan the content that comes into and goes out of that network element um, on an element-by-element element level. Um, so don't rely on a, you know, a, a firewall with gateway antivirus or something along those lines or, or 
gateway anti-spyware to be your end-all, be-all security posture against spyware because you will be disappointed. Um, furthermore, the implementation of a solid web acceptable use policy and looking into new solutions such as mobile acceptable use policy application is key in limiting exposure, which is a big deal too. Um, exposure that each individual has to a potentially malicious content uh, is, is wild. And if, if, if companies and enterprises don't take conservative approaches to their acceptable use policies, they may be putting themselves at undue risks uh, without realizing it. Again, back to the personal email and Facebook situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the second approach uh, is to build a zoning structure that accounts for a breach. You know, oftentimes we design networks with zero tolerance, which, you know, is, is a fantastic idea from an idealistic perspective, but it's kind of unreasonable when you think about it. So when something bad happens, it becomes widespread because we designed that zero tolerance against bad stuff. Um, we should take necessary steps to limit exposure, like I mentioned, um, but we should also take necessary steps to limit effect if the worst-case scenario happens. Zoning of network elements in this context is key. So, again, uh, software at the individual network element level, um, web-acceptable use policies that are stringent, and zoning and enclaving to prepare for the worst is the best strategy that I can think of to take on spyware. All right. That was an excellent answer, even though it was a broad question. You did a great job with that. (laughs) And I have one last question for you. Uh, How are industries focusing on security, and what are the challenges facing them today? Ah, okay. So I have to be careful how I answer this question because I may sound jaded here. Um, But industries really aren't focusing on security. Um, I think regulatory compliance standards are forcing their hands, uh, and they're still really not responding with the proper resources or best practices. Um, There's a rift in understanding between the IT director, CIO, and CEO and board. And it's difficult to make a case for spending money on security unless the company has experience with the breach that's already occurred. Then it's easy. Um, This rift needs to close. Organizations as a whole really need to understand that security is one of the greatest risks. Security from a network perspective, pardon me, is one of the greatest risks to their survival. And if they skimp on security, they're putting themselves at risk of destruction. Antivirus software and firewalls are a foundation but not a complete solution. And folks who make, you know, budget allocation decisions have to begin to understand that. As far as today's biggest challenges are concerned, um, I think protecting the company from its employees is a huge challenge. Uh, you know, and I'm not talking about employees with ill intent, but those who simply don't understand how to use the Internet and other network resources in a risk-conscious way. So I think this is why we're seeing explosive growth in malware. Get the senior team on board with a security posture and outline the risks. Budget dollars to address those risks and then train everybody in the organization on risks and associated consequences of unacceptable or reckless use of network elements. That's just the start. Once they do this, they can start to try to keep up with the growing security threats out there in the wild west of the Internet by doing things like enclaving and vulnerability assessments on a regular basis and working with layered security both in the cloud at the premises and at the terminal level. Um, all of those need to be taken into account. And I think we're going to see quite a few 
very serious security breaches with very large corporations before um, most enterprises begin to take the security issue seriously enough. Yes. I'm going to add a, um, just a small question of my own because I know we um, we do quite a bit of this, but do you find yourself educating uh, organizations as to the the depth, I guess, of the threats that are out there? Because so so many times a lot of companies think it's just some teenage kid living in the basement, you know. Yes. And, and they don't understand how sophisticated threats have really become. So is that your experience also? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I spend a lot of time doing research, just like you guys do, because there's just so much going on with security. Um, and I know uh, that, you know, IT IT like marketing is is the place that that gets crunched when things start to get hairy and the economy you know luckily is recovering but has been bad and so IT departments are running thin and you know your IT director who was in charge of security in the past may now be in charge of security patch updates um, you know equipment purchases and software patching and things like that uh, you know all kinds of different jobs and they just may not have the time to do the research and we're seeing that at an education level um, I think it's interesting when we talk about things like Zeus um, that people really don't realize that the bad guys that are out there are actually selling malware as a service to other criminals and are being extremely successful with it. Um, you That's know, another, scary, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It really is. And another indication is that, um, you know, people sometimes forget to think about the stuff that's happened in the past. Uh, you know, exploits that were in place, you know, 10 years ago are still being propagated, they're just being blocked well. Um, sometimes folks forget to take that kind of stuff into account. Um, a perfect example is configure. Uh, you know, for for all intents and purposes, the configure worm is 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 a taking care of thing. You know, we it's kind of like the H1N1. We've got a vaccine for it. However, um, my experience is is that organizations. Small, large, medium, you know, north, south, east, and west tend to be riddled with the configure worm even when they have pretty solid security postures in place. And it just goes to show, um, you know, this stuff is complex. This stuff needs to have constant attention. Um, and, you know, it's going to just get worse. Right. Which which emphasizes why it's so important to have partners in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> because I, I feel that uh, relationships are important and uh, getting together with other folks to join hands, as it were, to, um, you know, to provide that defense is, is going to be really, really um, helpful to yep. battle this. Definitely. And, you know, I think, I think from a management perspective and also from an expertise perspective, that's the case. Uh, you know, it is an expensive thing to have an extremely intelligent person on staff who is up to date with all the threats that are out there. Um, in fact, it's an impossible thing. And so without developing, developing partnerships that are specific to specific risks that you may be associated with, uh, you're shortchanging yourself. Partnerships, I think, are an absolute key. Yep. Amen, as I'd say, in another place, I guess. <laughs> well, that's great. This is this has been um, really helpful. I think that uh, those who listen are going to learn a lot 
Rob, and I really appreciate you taking the time to answer those questions. No problem. Thanks for having me.